Thank you very much, Jason, for bringing us our Bible readings uh, this morning. John the Baptist. Oh, there's some harsh words there, aren't there? Could we trust John the Baptist to run our baptism class for families here at church? That could be a bit controversial. Uh, Such was the strength of his language today. But let's spend some time just seeing what he was on about uh, in uh, this reading today. But let's begin by praying before we do so. Uh, Heavenly Father, we do thank you for uh, your word to us today. Uh, Thank you, Lord, that it is good news, even though it does seem hard or harsh. Thank you that you are coming in love and judgment to prepare a way for your people to know you, to love you, to be saved by grace and by trusting in you, and to receive a new life uh, that you long for us to have. Uh, Lord, help us today as we come to study your word today. May we uh, discover more about the new life that we have in you through baptism and by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, friends, we've been um, beginning our Advent uh, series in the beginning of Luke's Gospel. And last week we had Luke chapter 3, verses 1 to 6, which reintroduced the adult uh, John the Baptist back into Luke's narrative. Uh, We learned that he was there in the wilderness, which is where he has been since childhood. And we see the word of God uh, bypass all the rulers and authorities and those in charge, even the religious leaders in Jerusalem. The word of God bypasses all of these people and comes to John uh, out there in the wilderness. We know that John is already a special man. Uh, The Holy Spirit uh, has been with him since birth and he grew strong in the spirit in the wilderness experience. Uh, Not much is known about John's life, and that's uh, similar to to Jesus. We don't know too much about Jesus' uh, early uh, years. But when the word of God comes to John in the wilderness, he is empowered. He is mobilized. He is then sent out into all the countryside around the River Jordan with a new message. Uh, He doesn't keep this message to himself. He seeks to tell everybody about this new thing that God is doing. It's a message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And Luke sees John and his life and his message as the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 40, in particular verses 3 to 5, of a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Uh, In its original context, this was a word of comfort for God's people under King Hezekiah as they faced judgment locally uh, by the impending invasion and exile to the Babylonians. Here it is fulfilled now in John's coming as he prepares the way for Jesus, a way that requires change, a way that requires a straightening of crooked ways in the hearer's or receiver's life ready to receive our God and King who is coming to us. So Isaiah 43 to 5 still remains a word of comfort, but it comes again at a time of judgment, this time universal judgment, as the world's only Lord and Saviour is about to arrive, to declare judgment for sin and salvation for all who would believe and trust in him. In our passage today, John continues to bring this word of God 
to God's own people, to as many who would hear, so that they may know the extent of the problem that they are in and the way that God is offering uh, as his solution. So John said to the crowds that came out to be baptised by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, Well, we have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees, and every tree, therefore, that, that does not bear fruit, good fruit, is cut down and thrown into the fire. Boy, this is a hard word, isn't it? It's a harsh word to God's own people, to God's own chosen and elect people. Brood of vipers, it's quite condemnatory. Notice it's a brood of vipers, meaning offspring. John points out that God's people have become wayward in their false presumption that they are okay, that they are all right with God because of their ethnicity, because they've been born in the line to Abraham. But John points out to them uh, that they are not offspring of Abraham here. They are an offspring, rather, of vipers. An offspring of vipers. This is a hard word. Why is he calling them an offspring of vipers? Well, if you look at the wider biblical narrative, uh, snakes, when they are depicted, are linked to the presence and work of Satan uh, and in opposition to the work of God. And we see this most clearly and famously at the very beginning of the Bible in the Garden of Eden with the temptation and fall. But friends, recall that the coming of God, as spoken through the prophet Isaiah in chapter 11, will bring about conditions where the effect or the severity of the snake is nullified. So recall the words in Isaiah 11, 8 to 9. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Meaning God is coming, and when God comes, he will transform our fallen, painful, broken order of things. And this wonderful passage in Isaiah chapter 11 about the coming Messiah and what will happen on earth through the Messiah's reign and presence. The normal painful order of things uh, will be overturned and there will be a new set of peaceable relations, safety uh, abound. But in our narrative today, Jesus hasn't yet begun his public ministry where we do see Satan challenged and dethroned. And so the word of God through John is speaking into the struggle of God's own people uh, who we see are allied to Satan uh, rather than being allied to God. And we see this through their unfruitfulness, through their unfruitfulness. And the main reason for their unfruitfulness is this false presumption that they can be saved simply by being born as a descendant of Abraham. 
salvation by being, by being born into a line of people. Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these very stones to raise up children to Abraham. As we all know, Abraham received the righteousness of God, which was credited to him through belief, through his belief in God and in response to God's grace. And the same is true for John's hearers, and the same is true for us today. The grace of God is there for all people. The grace of God is coming in the Messiah to bring righteousness to all who believe in him. It's not for those who uh, claim a, a certain ethnicity that can be traced to Abraham. It is by grace and through faith in him. So Jesus is coming, but he's also coming to bring judgment to the world, as John prophesies in verse 17. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So it's the same message of judgment that John is bringing here. Jesus' message and John's message are one and the same. A message of coming wrath. Wrath, wrath, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Uh, but the meaning uh, is that wrath doesn't mean God is angry with people. Wrath doesn't mean God is angry with people. Wrath means God's holy opposition to the works of the serpent, Satan. God's holy opposition to the works of the serpent, Satan, who has humanity bound. And God has come to set us free from the works of the evil one. So it's a hard word that John is bringing to God's own people. But friends, the hearers are responsive. Do you notice this? Rather than them being dismissive or being upset or being angry uh, towards John, they are humble and they respond in the way of humility with these words. What then shall we do? What then should we do? So what does John say in response to this question? What then should we do? It's a question which speaks of a crisis. There is a crisis going on in their lives. Uh, we are all familiar uh, with crises in our own lives, in other people's lives. We know of the feeling when we are in situations that stretch the boundaries of our experiences. Those times when we think to ourselves, what do I need to do? What shall I do in this situation that I am facing? And a crisis point has arrived here in the person of Jesus and through John's ministry. God's coming to the world in love and judgment means all people are placed in a situation of moral and ethical crises. We need to choose. We have a decision to make to accept and receive God's love and forgiveness or to say no thank you and to reject him. It's a decision. It's a crisis. It's confronting. 
Jesus' arrival as the way, the truth, and the life is a confrontation where we all need to decide what we are to do with this person, Jesus, and the message that he brings. And we see this confrontation in all, in all the Gospels and indeed right through the New Testament. Uh, in Luke and Acts, uh, we see uh, this confrontation with the words in the crowds, what then should I do with the tax collectors, what then should we do uh, with the soldiers, what then should we do? The lawyer in Luke chapter 10, the rich young ruler, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? With the crowds in Acts chapter 2 in response to the sermon, what are we then to do? Now that God has taken on flesh and pitched his tent among us to take on our sin and to set us free. As theologian Joel Green rightly says, the redemptive visitation of God demands response. The redemptive visitation of God demands response. A decision point. So what is the response that John outlines here? Repentance, baptism, and fruitfulness. Repentance, baptism, and fruitfulness. Repentance, metanoia, meaning to turn around, turn away from the way that you were going, the way of focusing on yourself, and turn to God and follow his way, to follow Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Turn away from any wrong thinking which leads to death and turn to God, the way which leads to life and life for all eternity. So we do that because of God's grace, and because of our faith in him. Whoever we are, whatever nationality we are, wherever we've come from, whatever we have done, God's grace is for all. So people are not okay because of their ethnicity or what they're born into. It's about God being God and God doing what God has always done in bringing new life out of dark places. And uh, we see this work of God and this power of God, the miraculous power of God here in this passage. God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Meaning God can raise up new children from places which seem dead, from places which seem lifeless, where it looks like there's nothing going on. Nothing about it at all. From these stones, God can raise up children to Abraham. Where there looks to all intents and purposes that there is no life, from these very places, God can bring new life. God can bring new life. God can raise up children to Abraham from anywhere. From anywhere. So where are the dead and lifeless places where you think, oh, God couldn't possibly be at work in those places? Where? Just name a few. Down the local pub, Pinely Street, late Friday and Saturday night, in the terraces. Friends, God is there. God is present. Christians are there. God is at work sovereignly and through his faithful people. God is there through his Holy Spirit, who he, Jesus has sent and the Father have sent to us. 
who convicts the world about sin, righteousness and judgment. God is active, present and active in the world today through the Holy Spirit and through the baptism that Jesus will bring, which is the baptism that we now practice in the name of God the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So this is the greater baptism that John says Jesus will bring when the crowds get a little bit excited and think that, oh, could, you know, this man, John the Baptist, could he be the Messiah? John answers all of them by saying, I baptise you with water, with his baptism of repentance. But one who is more powerful than I is coming, and I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And with fire meaning the presence of God, the holy presence of God, which we see in the various theophany accounts in the Bible, uh, the pillar of fire by night uh, in the burning bush, the presence of God will now come upon those who are baptised into Jesus' name. And as we see with the tongues of fire alighting on the heads of the disciples. The presence of God comes upon us through baptism and in the Holy Spirit. He is with us, dwelling in our hearts and in our lives. So Jesus' baptism following the crisis point of repentance will bring the Holy Spirit into the life of the new believer to animate them into the new life that Christ brings to both gift and to grow fruit of faithful living in our lives which brings me on to the third point the spiritual life of fruitfulness so if the unfaithful life is marked by being unfruitful then a turning away from being an offspring of satan to a child of god will yield a fruitful life worthy of that repentance but here in this passage God's own people had become misguided. They had got off track in their thinking and subsequently in their actions. As a result, they were not being fruitful in their lives. And so with judgment coming, this word of warning that if they don't bear fruit, they won't share in the new life that God is bringing through Jesus and through his kingdom comes to the fore. And they need to make a decision in this point of crisis. But it's a decision where God offers a way forward, a way out. Because our God is full of grace and truth, he has come to provide this way, the way of salvation and new life in him. And repentance, baptism, and a new set of behaviours or an ethical imperative which flows out of this repentance and baptism are the markers for those who receive this new way that God has provided. And these new set of behaviours reveal that an inner change has indeed taken place, that we can now see in the way that people speak, in the way that people use their time, and as they go about their daily lives differently. 
Now, because Jesus' ministry hasn't begun yet at this stage of the gospel narrative, John can't say, well, just go follow the teachings of Jesus. He hasn't arrived on the scene, he hasn't been baptised, hasn't received the Holy Spirit and started his teaching ministry. So what John does do is highlight behaviours that reveal the inner change that has occurred and the growth of fruit worthy of repentance in people's lives. And we see this as new actors enter the narrative here. We see the crowds, we see it in the tax collectors, and we see it with the soldiers as they all come to John, responding positively to this message, and as they are all facing this crisis of, what shall we do then? What shall we do then? So we see the haves in the crowd, those who possess clothing in abundance, food in abundance. We see it in the tax collectors, the, the Jewish turncoats who are now working for the Romans and taking more than they should and keeping money for themselves. We see it with the soldiers who are able to get away with exploiting and accusing people with impunity. So to show fruit worthy of repentance and to be ready for the coming Messiah, John highlights the following actions for these people in response to the question, what shall we do? So for the haves, if you have two of something, well, give one to somebody who doesn't have any. If you have an abundance of food, give it to somebody who doesn't have any at all. Tax collectors, don't collect more than you ought to, pocketing it for yourselves. Collect only what is required of you. And soldiers, don't extort or accuse. Rather, be content with what you have. Be content with what you have. So so these new sets of behaviours and actions are consistent with being fruitful rather than unfruitful. They reveal that God is at work in people's lives bringing about fruitfulness and a rejection of sinful patterns because the believer has turned away from being an offspring of Satan to being truly an offspring of Abraham by repenting of their sins and being ready for the coming Messiah. So John is preparing the way for the Lord. He is preparing the hearts of God's own people who had become wayward, warning them of the coming judgment that they may find the new thing that God is about to do through the person of Jesus. And John's message that he brings is consistent with the message that Jesus will bring. John's message of repentance leads to forgiveness and a whole new set of behaviours as people seek to live fruitful lives that reveal the character of God in truly becoming children of the one true living God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word that has come to John the Baptist. Thank you for his faithfulness in remaining in the wilderness and waiting upon you. Uh, Thank you for his proclamation of your word, for the baptism of repentance uh, for your people, and Lord, to prepare the way for the coming Messiah. 
Lord, thank you that as recipients of your love, uh, for being the recipients of your baptism and of your Holy Spirit, we do pray that you would keep on being at work in our hearts and lives so that we may continue to be fruitful, to grow your fruits in our hearts and lives. So, Lord, we pray for more of your love and joy, and peace, and patience, kindness, goodness, thankfulness, and self-control. Lord, continue to be at work in us that we may bear fruit worthy of repentance. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.